0: How many of you have ever had to feel your way or find your way out of a dark place? See your hands and and, and nodding. So most of us have had to navigate through darkness to get to a light. And it's not really all that easy, is it? You know, getting from a dark place to a source of light, a flashlight, or being able to find a switch and turn it on. I mean, even if you're familiar with a room or an area... Uh, Darkness throws off your orientation, your sense of distance, and you struggle through a place that's even familiar. I mean, if you're in your living room and the lights go off, you start feeling for the coffee table, don't you? Why do you do that? Because little else in the world hurts like hitting your shin bone on the corner of the coffee table. So that's the first order of business. Where is the coffee table? And we'll orient ourselves around that. And if you're in an unfamiliar place, what do you do? I mean, you get down on your hands and your knees and you crawl, right? I mean, because you don't want to walk in anything uh, that's going to hurt you. I remember I was playing a game with uh, the youth at our church when I was doing student ministry. And I was in a room and I knew the door was open. And it was in total darkness, which is a whole thing in and of itself, being in a church full of students with the lights out. But trying to make my way to the door where I knew the door was open, I'm kind of moving. I've got my arms out. But at that point, that night, I discovered I wasn't moving my arms enough because I walked right into the door like this, with arms on either side, just wham, right into it. So then I learned to crisscross my arms when you walk in those unfamiliar places, all right? So it didn't do a whole lot of damage. Some of you are going, yeah, that explains a lot about Curtis now. We know he's hit his head in the darkness. But, uh, you know, in an unfamiliar place, I mean, it's very debilitating to be in the darkness. And how many of you have ever stepped full stride and full weight on a small object or a toy, maybe left in the floor barefooted, like a Lego, a Hot Wheel car, a littlest pet shop accessory. They're cute to look at, but man, those things hurt. I mean, when you're like me and you weigh mm, some pounds and you step on that in full stride with barefoot, it'll, it'll bring you to your knees. Experience speaking from that. I mean, it is not pleasant to step on those things in full stride. But if you're in darkness with someone who knows their way around, what do you do? You get really close to them, don't you? You're, you're best buds. You're walking really closely and you'll listen to them say, Hey, there's a chair over here, table to your left. You're like, Okay, when you're following those instructions, you, you're, you're hugging on, going, Okay, take me this way. But, and if they've got the light, you're still very close and you're watching, making sure that uh, the obstacles in the way is clear uh, as you follow this person with the light. It's no fun wandering around in darkness. And listen to what Matthew in his gospel has to say about Jesus who came to rescue people, humanity, mankind from spiritual, not physical darkness. Matthew says this, the people living in darkness, the people of the world, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the shadow of death. We live in the shadow of death as human beings because we're going to face death. And, And death in the Bible refers to physical death that our heart stops beating. But it also refers to spiritual death and being separated from God because of our sin. And so he says, those living in the shadow of death, says, a light has dawned. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, began to rise and begin his ministry. And later in the New Testament, God called the Apostle Paul to go and to be a witness and to go and to preach the gospel message about Jesus Christ. And and Jesus says this to Paul, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them, Jesus says, from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus comes to Paul and he says that you're going to go to people who are in darkness, people who are spiritually under Satan's power, and through Christ Paul, you will rescue them and you will save them from that darkness and from Satan's power. It's no fun wandering around in the darkness. But it is absolutely miserable to be trapped in spiritual darkness. And we must recognize that spiritual darkness is more than the lights being out temporarily. Satan does seek to trap us, to bind us. And it is his desire and his effort to keep us in that darkness. He doesn't want us to discover the light of Jesus Christ. And many of the people that you and I meet every day are in that spiritual condition. They are trapped in spiritual darkness. They hit their shins on the painful struggles over and over again found in relationships. For weeks, months, maybe even years, they haven't felt anything that remotely even resembles a feeling of love or respect or appreciation for their spouse but they're keeping it together for the sake of the kids or for a tax benefit or for whatever else the case may be. But there's no feeling, there's no emotion, there's no desire to be married or to show love or respect or admiration to that person that they're married to. Their children have every advantage of of education and of of clothing and material possessions that, that the parents can give them, but there's no relationship between parent and child. And people are hurting and they're struggling and they want something different, but they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to find this relationship that their heart desires with their spouse or with their children. And it causes pain in their lives. Some people are wandering around in darkness and they're bumping into walls and they're bumping into doors all the time. And some, they don't just bump into them, they throw themselves into walls and doors of alcohol or drug or gambling addiction, thinking that if they just hit those things hard enough, it'll dull the pain that they're experiencing from all of the other emotional heartache and pain and difficulties they're having in life. But what they find out is the pain doesn't diminish. It only increases. And the addiction itself that they've thrown themselves into becomes another barrier, another obstacle or hurdle for them to overcome. But still other people are stumbling around in the spiritual darkness and, and they're crippling themselves, stepping in holes and pits and things like pornography and adultery or, or anger and rage that, that evidences itself in their life and, and upon every person around them. And it's like stepping on one of those little toys. I mean, you would think that wouldn't do much damage, but it brings them to their knees and, and they can't function. They don't know how to relate and they feel trapped and powerless to get out of these things and to overcome these things in their life. Do you know people who are wandering around in that kind of spiritual darkness? We all do. We all know individuals in that condition. And some of them realize it and they know their condition and they see their situation. And they're looking for light, they're looking for hope, they want to find a way out. But other people, they don't seem to care. And some will go so far as to even tell you that they enjoy the darkness. They enjoy the situation that they're walking around in. And that they want to be in that situation. And John in his gospel told us that it would be this way. In John chapter 1, he writes, In him, and he's talking about Jesus, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. So so people couldn't recognize who Jesus was and and what he came to do. And later in John chapter 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, a teacher in the land, a smart, educated, religious man who was coming and asking questions of Jesus because he really didn't understand everything that Jesus was teaching and was doing. And Jesus talked to Nicodemus about being born again. And in part of that conversation, trying to help Nicodemus understand, Jesus said this, This is the verdict. What's a verdict? A verdict is a final decision. A judge hears and he rules and says, this is my ruling, this is my verdict. I've made a decision. Jesus says, this is the verdict that men have made. He says, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So people chose darkness and their sin instead of the light of Jesus Christ in their lives. So as we think about our fourth core value, that of witnessing as a way of life, the question for us becomes how do we rescue people from their spiritual darkness, whether they're aware of that spiritual darkness or not? How do we help get them out from under Satan's power and the oppression that he brings and lead them to a saving knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus tells us how to do that in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1, where Jesus answers that question of how we can rescue people from this spiritual darkness. How we can lead them to the light and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 1 records for us the final words of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. And final words are so very often, they're memorable and they're significant. And these last words of Jesus are very significant for us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 6 is where we'll start. It says, so when they met together, this is Jesus and his disciples, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So they're still questioning about this new kingdom and Jesus setting things straight and making it right. So they're kind of asking questions about, hey, when's this going to take place so they can make sure they're ready, you know? Uh, It's kind of like, you know, husband's cleaning the house when your wife's been away for a few days and she's coming home and uh, you've maybe not kept the house like you need to. I mean, you all wouldn't know what that's like, but but for me, sometimes I have to run around at the last minute picking up what I didn't do for the three days prior, you know? And so the disciples are saying, when are you going to be back? Because we want to make sure we're ready when you get here. And Jesus tells them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, Jesus tells his disciples, and as a result, us who came to faith because the disciples obeyed Jesus' command and instruction here. So, Jesus tells us simply this tell others about Jesus and let God work. Tell others about Jesus. And let God work. How do we rescue people from spiritual darkness in which they are trapped under Satan's power? We tell them about Jesus and we let God work. That's how simply Jesus lays it out for us. And so we look at this verse and we say, hmm, that sounds pretty simple, pretty easy. Well, let's look at the most important part of this uh, component here. And that's the God working part of it. When you look at verse 8, what is the most important part of of verse eight. Well, we like to focus a lot on the word power in there. Jesus said, you will receive power. We go, yeah, that's awesome, power. And the word power here is is the Greek word dunamen, which is the word from which we get our word dynamite, just to explode and to blow up. We go, oh, dynamite, yeah. I mean, what man doesn't like Fourth of July and getting those M60s and M80s? And we have some fun with explosive stuff, right? We like the power of that explosion. And Jesus says that I'll give you, you will receive this power. And we go, sweet Power. We get power of Jesus in our life to help us overcome temptation and and to win the battle with sin, and and Jesus brings that explosive power to our life. And as we pray, God God answers our prayers and He hears our prayers and He moves and works in our lives and situations. But God also works in other people's lives, and we pray for them and we ask God to do things, and God moves, and they say, "Wow, this is incredible!" Tell me more about this Jesus that you've been praying to, who's answering these prayers. And we love to think about the power of God and. And that power is available to us it's exciting and it's wonderful to think that as jesus said with god nothing is impossible that god wants to move and work and bring his power to bear in your life and so it's right to focus and get excited about that power but that's not the most important part of verse eight Well, surely then it's got to be the witnessing component because Jesus said you'll receive power and then you'll be my witnesses. I mean, I'm preaching a three-week series on the value of witnessing as a way of life that's going to be a core value upon which we will build the foundation and we will center much of our activities and efforts as a church. And so witnessing has to be important, does it not? And witnessing is important. And we're not going to deny the value that's there, but that's still not the focal point of this verse. The focal point of verse, eight, of verse 8 the hinge upon which the entire verse turns and that allows the power we've talked about to flow to the witnesses who are telling people uh, about Jesus Christ and gives them the power to overcome their fears and the temptations and the obstacles and the spiritual warfare that comes did you hear that part When you try to witness and tell people about Jesus, Satan doesn't sit back and say, oh, go ahead, maybe they'll trust Christ, maybe they won't, go go ahead, and and if you want to do that, then then, then have, have at it. Satan actively opposes you when you try to witness and share your faith and tell people about Christ. He doesn't sit idly by The Bible says about Satan that he's like a roaring lion who seeks, who looks for those whom he can devour. And number one on his list are those people who are getting serious about telling others about Jesus Christ. So he's looking for you when you're trying to share your faith. And so we want this power to be at work in us as we're being a witness for Christ. How does it happen? What's the connecting point? It's the Holy Spirit. It's God himself. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is the catalyst. He's the conduit through which the power comes, which allows us and emboldens us to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. If anyone is saved because you share the gospel message with them, It was because of the Holy Spirit of God at work in their life, not because of anything that you did. It is His power working through you in their life, which brings them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Tell others about God, tell others about Jesus and let God work. You, tell others about Jesus and let God work. Let God work. Those three words are a game changer when it comes to evangelism. And I want to remind you of a couple of things I've said about this this issue of evangelism already in the time that I've been here. First of all, salvation is a work of God. Salvation is a work of God. He's the one that thought up and knew that we would need a way to have a relationship with him. It was his idea, and God established the idea and set things in motion for it before the world was ever created. So salvation was God's idea in the first place. God is the one who ordered and set everything up in the events and the history of mankind all throughout the Old Testament, who set the stage for Jesus Christ, his son, to come and purchase our salvation when he died on the cross of Calvary. So God thought of it. God prepared everything. God sent Jesus who died on the cross so that we could be saved. And then God sent the Holy Spirit who comes, the Bible says, and convicts us of our sin. Who opens our eyes to understanding so we realize our need for salvation. Then we pray in faith and we, and we place our faith in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians 1.13 says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So it's God's work from beginning to end. Salvation is god's work the bottom line and what that means for us is this when we get to heaven god's not going to be looking around at the great throngs of people and go hey what are you doing here i didn't know you were going to be here peter check the list is he supposed to be here well did he sneak in the back door or something how did this guy get here i didn't know he was going to be in heaven with us god's not going to say that now we may be surprised at some of the people we see in heaven Or when we look around and go, where is? I I don't see them here. We we may be surprised, but God's not going to be surprised because salvation is his work alone from beginning until the end. Salvation is God's work. But another thing to remember we've talked about is this. You won't save anybody. You're not going to save anybody. And you are not responsible for whether or not a person places his or her faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said the only way to the Father is what? It's through Him. It's through Him, not through you. So if you share someone with Christ, or if you share Christ with someone and they place their faith in Him, don't get the big head. God did that work. He's the one that caused them to pass from death to life, who wrote their name in His book of life. It wasn't you, it was God. So so there's no pride within us in that. But the reverse is also true. If you, in in genuine love and with a sincere heart, do the best that you can in in sharing the gospel and telling someone about Christ, and they choose not to place their faith and their trust in Him, it's not your fault. And you're not going to be judged, and you're not going to be held accountable for their decision to choose to accept or reject the gospel. Now, I did just say that you need to share in love and with a genuine and sincere heart. I mean, we don't need to be the the offensive obstacle, be abrasive in how we share and and run roughshod over people or be ungodly in how we treat them. But if you have genuine love and sincere heart and, and do the best that you can in sharing the gospel, that's all God asks of you. Our task is to tell others and then let God work. That's his task. That's his responsibility. That's his job. All we're called to do is tell people. And I want to put some fears at risk because I think this is a big, big thing with Christians. We think, man, I don't know. In a verse, I'm going to say something wrong or, or I'm going to do this and it's going to drive somebody further away from Christ instead of drawing them closer to him. Let me put your mind at ease in that if you are sensitive to that issue or you are concerned that you're going to drive somebody further away from Christ by by saying the wrong thing or being awkward or 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 by messing up the presentation of, of the gospel or telling somebody about Jesus if you have that concern you are not going to do that And here's why that's the case. If you're sensitive to that and that's a fear that you have, when you talk with somebody and you pick up some hesitation on their part or they they feel resistant in that and they begin to backpedal in that conversation, my experience has been that people turn the conversation like that and they back off and say, hmm. The person's really not ready yet. This isn't the right opportunity for me to share Christ. And we back off and we slow down and we wait for another uh, more opportune time in the future. Almost to the point that I think sometimes we're not bold enough. And we don't press the issue just enough to be able to to help a person assess and see their need for Christ. So if you're sensitive to that and that's a concern that you have, that shows that your heart is in the right place. and, And when you pick that up you're not going to push too far. You're not going to drive them away from Christ because you're alert to that, and that's a concern that you have. But pray for God to give you boldness and to open uh, that person's heart and their life and their spirit as you share with them. Let God work. That That is the single most important element in evangelism is God's work in the heart and the life and the spirit of another person. So let him work. So that's God's side of the equation. Let God work. Now let's look at our side of the equation. Tell others about Jesus and let God work. Ours is pretty simple too. Tell others about Jesus. That's what he commanded us to do in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my people who will go and you'll tell what I've done for you, how you came to know me, what a difference I've made in your life, how you're growing, where you're struggling. You will be my witnesses telling other people. And Jesus tells us, even in that, how we are to be his witnesses. He says that his disciples will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you know where the disciples are as Jesus comes to them and is giving them this instruction? They are in Jerusalem. So Jesus says, here's how you're to be my witnesses. You are to be my witnesses first and foremost right where you are. You're in Jerusalem and you'll be a witness in Jerusalem. Well, how convenient. We don't have to go somewhere else to do evangelism, to go find lost people. They're right here. We, we can tell people in Jerusalem. And then Judea and Samaria. It's like a, a target of a bullseye that Jesus is describing here. Those are the surrounding, if you will, counties and state or region that's there. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem where you are. And as you have opportunities to be in Judea and Samaria, you'll be my witnesses there. And then he says, to where? To the ends of... Of the earth. It is a worldwide global call for us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. But where does it start? Right where we are. Right where you are in the relationships that you're in, and the places and the businesses that you frequent, and with the people that you see. So, this morning, I want to give you a couple of ideas and applications related to this area of telling others about Jesus. And the first and the biggest that I can share with you this morning is simply this. Plant spiritual seeds as early as you can in a relationship. Plant spiritual seeds as early as you can and as often as you can in relationships. Now, why would I say that? Why would I talk about planting seeds of the gospel and, and, and of salvation and about who Christ is? Why would I say early in a relationship? Because here's what happens with human beings in relationship dynamics. The closer you grow to a person, the more you endear yourself to them, and the better that friendship and relationship, the more Satan uses fear to try and keep you from talking about spiritual matters. The closer you are to a person, the more Satan uses fear to try to keep you from talking about spiritual matters. Here's how it plays out. We've been thinking of someone. I've been challenging you, and you've been thinking of a, of a guy or a girl or a person in your life, maybe a family member a coworker, that you're good friends with. You have a good relationship with this person. And you kind of think, man, they are such a good friend. I mean, I love being with them. We have so much in common. Uh, they're, just, they're just a joy and a blessing in my life. And, and, and I just love being with this person and, and just hanging out with them. We're really good friends. And if I start talking to them about spiritual things or bring up Jesus and the gospel, things will get weird. They may kind of start pulling away from me and stop calling to go hang out and play golf or go get coffee or do whatever, and it'll get weird. And I don't want to lose that friendship. I mean, I enjoy this friendship so much. If I start talking about this stuff, it gets weird, and I may lose that friend because I try to talk to them about Jesus and about spiritual matters. And because we have that fear... We don't say anything. And the longer we go without saying anything, the harder it is to bring it up in the future. Because then we kind of start feeling this hypocrisy. Well, if I haven't said anything now, I mean, I can't, I can't bring it up. And, you know, six months ago I could have said this. I didn't then. And now we're here and, and, and we're even closer. And, and it would really be awkward now. And, and so we talk ourselves out of ever engaging and talking with them about spiritual things or about Christ. But the best preventative for these fears that creep into our lives and in the relationship is to naturally and to gently plant spiritual seeds in conversations. And I want to give you a couple of examples of things I'm talking about here, and then you can pick up and you can really run with this. In the flow of a conversation, I mean in the office, if you're at a restaurant over lunch, if you're... you're coffee, on the golf course, wherever you may be with somebody, you're talking about things. When you guys are here on Sundays, you see people sitting in your pew, you see them in the hallway, you all talk about a lot of stuff. You don't just talk about spiritual stuff, all right? Don't don't try and fool me that you do. You, You harp on my basketball team all the time, and you know, my flags at my house, and I mean, you all are all the time. You don't talk about spiritual stuff only at church when you're here on Sunday mornings. So when you're out with somebody during the week, and you guys are talking about something like you are here today... You can very simply say, you know what, at church this weekend, I was talking with a guy about this very same thing. And you know what I told him or you know what he said to me? And then you share that and you talk about that conversation. And you know what you did? You just put a spiritual marker. You planted a spiritual seed in that relationship when you told that person, hey, at church this weekend, they heard you say, Will you go to church? And I've had that conversation with people. And, they, and after I finished, whatever the thing is, you said, you, what church do you go to? And I brought it up, and they've told me where they went. So, hey, we've been looking for a church. Well, you kind of opened a door to an opportunity that God may use for you to be able to share the gospel by simply saying, hey, and bringing up something about church and how you were related and involved in something that relates to the conversation that you were having. And you didn't break out in song, and you didn't have to pray in front of them, you know, and, and you didn't have to turn on a spotlight, you know, from heaven to go, ooh. Was the church this weekend? You know, you just said, "Hey, you know, we were talking about that this weekend," and people go, "Oh, okay." You know, another way to plant a, a spiritual seed in a conversation is when you're talking with somebody a, again, as we do, about the ups and downs that we go through in life and things that you're struggling with in your own family, your own journey. Say, "You know what? Yeah, it's not been easy, but we've just been praying about it, and we're leaving it in God's hands." you've done two things there. One, you shared about a struggle in your life, and so they know that you're human, that, that, that you have struggles and you have issues. But secondly, you just told them that you pray about things going on in your life. And they may not say anything then. You may move on, and you just continue the conversation about what's taking place, and that's the end of it. But very likely, there's a good opportunity that sometime in the future, and I've had this happen on a number of occasions, people will come and they'll say, hey, would you pray for us about such and such that's going on? Because they heard you say that you were praying about something and they don't know who else to go to. They don't know who else prays and attends church or has a relationship with God. And so they come back because they heard you say, hey, I was praying about this. And so you say, yeah, I'd be happy to pray about that for you or with you and your family. Another way, kind of building off of that, to plant a spiritual seed, and I've never been turned down in this one, never in my life, is to ask somebody if you can pray for them about something. Maybe they're talking, they're sharing what's going on with themselves, or somebody in their family, or somebody you know, and to simply say, hey, is it alright if I pray for you about that, or if I pray for them about that? I've never had a person say, nah, don't pray for me, I don't, I wouldn't want that, you know, <laughs> I've, maybe you have. I'm not I'm not downplaying that. Maybe you've had somebody say, don't pray for me. I've never had a person say, don't pray for me about something. And when you say that, if you're comfortable, pray with them right there on the spot. I mean, don't wait. Do it right then. But if you're not comfortable and you don't do that, then at least pray for them. Don't lie for them. I'll pray for you about that, and then you never do, all right? You know, right? I've been praying for you, and you haven't, you liar, all right? So pray for them. You just... <laughs> You just ruined your witness. The Lord's going, what prayer are you talking about, Curtis? You didn't pray for them about that. So if you're going to say it, pray for them. But you've provided a follow-up conversation in the future. And how have you done that? You know what I'm going to say? Because then the next time you see the person, or even if you don't see them, make it a point to contact them. Give them a call. Send them an email. Say, hey, how's this going? I've been praying for you guys about that. What's taking place? And so you've got a follow-up conversation, more of an opportunity to talk about spiritual issues. Oftentimes in this, you don't even have to call them. I've had this happen. People call me up two days later and go, Man, I know you've been praying. I'm like, Yeah, I have been. All right, they call you back up and say, Man, you're not going to believe what just happened. And they're all excited about what's taking place in in this situation. And they're saying, and they're calling you because you said you were going to pray for them about it. And now they see a change and they say, Wow, God's working. And you've got an opportunity to follow up with them about that. So, I mean, ways you can do this are limitless. I'm just giving you some ideas and plantings of seeds there, but you can take and run with this. But the key is being intentional about regularly planting spiritual seeds in these conversations, in these relationships, as early and as often as you possibly can. So, you know, a second opportunity for you to tell others about Jesus and let God work is simply by inviting them to church and to church activities. Now, next week, I'm going to really lay some things out for you about our vision for Sunday mornings and how we plan on using Sunday mornings uh, to engage and connect with lost people and with the unchurched in our community. But simply put, inviting someone to church can be the simplest, most natural way for you to plant spiritual seeds and tell them about Jesus and let God work in their life. People have all kinds of ideas and preconceived notions and fears about what it's going to be like going to church. Do they not? Have you talked to people like, man, I, I, I'm going to walk in. I'm going to look out of place. Everybody's going to look at me and go, man, you don't belong in our church here. Look how you're dressed. and Or they think that they're going, to, we're going to make them stand up in a service and, you know, give their name and have, what their last sins were, you know, that they committed. They have all these thoughts and ideas about what it's going to be like to go to church. But when you invite somebody, say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? I'll meet you in the parking lot or I'll meet you in the foyer and I'll sit with you that day. And they're like, oh, you'll be there and you'll tell me what to do and whatnot to do so I don't stand up at the wrong time or sit down or, or say something out of turn, you really help calm those fears. And they come and they walk through that day and go, huh, that wasn't too bad. Or people say, man, I haven't been to a church in so long. I'm going to walk in and the, the building's going to cave in on me, you know, be God's way of punishing me. And you can always joke on the way out. See, the building didn't fall today, did it? huh." huh huh because people do that, all right? And so you help put those fears at ease by just inviting them and being with them in that day. And then you have a great opportunity to follow up with them. Hey, what'd you think about that today? What'd you think about that song and the, the Mother's Day? So, wasn't that cute seeing them up there? What, that lady that sang that thing? Or, man, that preacher, he talks forever. Whatever the case may be, you know? So I, I know, I know. But there is nothing that fires me up more than hearing somebody say they brought a friend to church, that that friend had a good experience, And they plan on coming back again. Man, I'm ready to do cartwheels down the hallway going, yes, yes. They they had a good experience that day and they're open to coming back again. Maybe God will continue his work in that person's heart and in their life. Tom Rainer, who's now the president of Lifeway uh, Christian Resources in Nashville, uh, is big into doing a lot of church research stuff, writing books on that. Several years ago, he published his findings uh, in a survey they, they did with the unchurched people in America in a book called The Unchurched next door. And so let talk about surprising insights, things they learned from calling people, asking, do you go to church? Do you not go to church? Why don't you go? And just asking some questions through this. Here's what they discovered. They found that 82% of the unchurched population said they would attend church if they were offered 50 bucks. I'm just kidding. The research found that 82% of the unchurched said they would be somewhat likely to attend church if they were invited. 82% said they would probably come to church if somebody would simply invite them. Are you hearing me? 82%. Do you understand what 82 means out of 100 Maybe you don't. All right, you four right here, stand up. Four people right here, y'all stand up. Jason, you two, here's five. Go ahead, six, seven, eight, nine, right here. Y'all stand up. Here's, here's 10 people. This is our 100% of people right here. Okay, we'll let you two go ahead and sit down. Eight, oh, go good, sit down. Yeah, you're, you're our other 10%. This is 80%. 8 out of these 10 people, and then 2%. So I don't know, her arm will come by. I don't know how they get 82, but 82% of people, yeah, her arm. Her arm's going to come to church. 82% of people, 8 out of 10 unchurched people said they would come if somebody would invite them. Are you talking about shooting fish in a barrel or what? 8 out of 10? All right, thank you all very much. Great object lesson. Now, the other side of this, this is the heartbreaking side of this, is that in this same research project, Dr. Rayner discovered that only 21% of churchgoers, 21% of churchgoers. So of our 10 people, you all please stand. I'm just kidding, you're not over. Our 10 people, please stand. Only 21%. The other eight of you said you two get to stand this time. Only these two out of ten, this is you guys, this is us, only 21% of those who are going to church invite anybody in the course of a year. Two out of ten invite anybody. This is other church people. Hey, why don't you guys come to a special event? Here's the heartbreaking part 21% inviting anybody, only 2%. Both of you can sit down. I don't know, hold a foot, just stick your shoe up in the air. I don't 2%. Her, her arm invites an unchurched person to worship with them. 2% of churchgoers invite an unchurched person, not another church member, an unchurched person to church with them. When 8 out of 10 said they would go if just asked, heartbreaking, heartbreaking on our apathy, on our laziness, on our disobedience. That's an indictment on the church. And church, it's got to change. Because people are dying and going to hell every single day. Because we won't simply say, hey, why don't you come to church with me? So that they can be here and that we can let God begin to work in their life. Invite somebody to church. We do, and we try to do, we're intentional about trying to do some outside-the-box outreach uh, events in our church, some outreach opportunities, and we do those things, things that are maybe out of the ordinary that you wouldn't think of normally being associated with church, so you can invite people to come to those things to be around other believers, to spend time with them, and to pray for opportunities to be able to plant spiritual seeds in those conversations and in those relationships. We do a lot of different things. Last fall, we had a Christian comedian that was here. We had a car show. We're planning on doing a car show again this fall, getting that on the calendar. We do these things so you can invite people. In a couple of weeks, right here on Thursday night, we're going to have After Edmund, a Christian rock band, in concert. So if that's your style of music and it's going to be rocking and it's going to be loud and it's going to be pumping in here, if that's your thing and that's your style of music be here on that night and invite a friend who's into that, that music as well. If that's not your style of music, don't come. All right? And if you come, don't send me emails about it. All right? I warned you ahead of time. All right? So, so they're going to be here. It's an opportunity for you to invite people. This fall, we've got scheduled uh, Dove Award-winning Contemporary Christian Artist uh, Sidewalk Profits scheduled. I think they're going to be here in September. So they're going to be here September 18th in concert. We're looking at this Christmas. We've gotten information again to have the 29th Army Band and Four Orchestra come in to give a Christmas concert. I mean, we're trying to do these things to give you opportunities to reach out to invite people to be able to build relationships and be able to share Christ. So you can say, hey, why don't you come with me to blank that's going on and bring those unchurched and those lost people with you seeking opportunities to tell them about Jesus and let God work. That's the point of the message. If you you remember nothing else today, walk out of here saying, tell others about Jesus and let God work. That's all God asks us to do. It's a simple call for each of us, and we see it reiterated and summed up in 1 Peter 3.15. I'm going to end with this verse this morning, and then I'll start with it next week. But it simply says this, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. So it starts with us, just as in Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, it starts in us, in your hearts. Peter says, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that you have. And he says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Right, I'm going to close with one last thing. If you guys will kill the lights, the house lights, for just a minute. Talking about darkness. The sermon title this morning was Turn It On and Let It Shine. Now, there's ambient light. I don't know if we can get these side panels or not. But, yeah, they they're come down. But if this room totally darkness, we've got stuff bleeding in, but just imagine for your second imagine for yourself a totally dark situation. It's dark in this room, no light anywhere. We've killed every source of it. If I'm here on this platform in total darkness, I can turn this light on, as I just did, maybe shine it on the floor, shine it out, and you're going, Stop doing that But I put this light up here, from every corner of this room, you can begin to make your way to this light that's here on the platform you can see it and very slowly you begin to maneuver and we talked about walking gently but that's not just how the Bible tells us. The Bible says we should let our light shine so people can see it and they're drawn to it but you know what the Bible says? Just what we've seen this morning that we should go to people and we go and we find them and we tell them about Jesus and say hey let me tell you what a difference he's made in my life and we reach out a hand and they take the hand and then we can walk them to the light of Jesus Christ in their life as well. We go and we tell others about Christ and we let God work. So what about your light? Is your light on? Is it shining that others can see? And are you taking that light to them to lead them to Christ?